Greetings, friends and family. Today is Sunday, June 21st, and it is Father's Day. So a very happy and very special Father's Day greeting to all of our dads in the Bannerall Christian family, Fellowship family. And I'd like to say specifically a happy Father's Day to my father, to Mr. Herman Yon, who is listening today and worshiping with us in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I love you, Dad, and I appreciate the dad that you are and have been. I'm going to go ahead and pray as we jump right in to today's teaching. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and accepting in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and grab those and, and turn to the 10th chapter of Acts. We will be there here in a bit and spend some time there. Epiphany in biblical terms is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And what we mean by manifestation of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has shown himself to be not just a good teacher, not a moral philosopher, not one piece of a multitude of pieces that make up what's spiritually true in the universe, but that Jesus has revealed himself to be God in the flesh. He's not a piece of the truth. He is the truth himself. So we rejoice that Christ stands over all and is in all and through all as the reigning king, sovereign of the universe. Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor, to give liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set those bound free, and then ultimately to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or as Jesus would put it, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the thing. We cannot just think that that's metaphorical. What we mean when we say metaphorical is it's true that metaphorically, if we're a believer, if we're a Christian, we were blind, but now we see. That's how we would describe or how we certainly could describe becoming a believer in Jesus. We couldn't see and now we can. We see the truth. That's Jesus fulfilling that. But it's also true that he, in fact, physically healed the blind. And we could we could go through that. We could do that with each of those statements that I just read. You can't jam what Jesus accomplished into just some ethereal spiritual realm. You see, it's real. It lives on the ground in the muck and the mire. It lives in the ground and things that we are very uncomfortable talking about. It lives in things like the marginalized the minority subcultures, race, racial injustice, and racial harmony. And we as a church are going to address this. It's important that we do so. It's important that we hold up the scripture and God's word as we address this. And here's why we're going to do this. First of all, racial harmony and equality is one of the great themes of the Bible, of the scriptures. You see, when the world is broken, we see a promise come to Abraham in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. And then it's reaffirmed in Genesis chapter 15 that through Abraham, if you don't have a background in, 
in in church or or you haven't had some some Bible studies, then that's okay. But but the through Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant leads to the Davidic covenant, which gets us all the way to Jesus Christ. What happens here is a promise made to Abraham that through the line of Abraham, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. You see, God's plan was always to go bigger than one ethnic group. It was always more than just the Jewish people. It was always going to be to the ends of the earth. And then then the Bible ends in Revelation and, and in chapter 7 with men and women from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation on earth. This multicultural expression of faith crying out before the throne room of God. The second reason, the first reason is that the Bible speaks so much about this. And the second reason is that Jesus taught on this a lot. Maybe if you're like me, you grew up in a world of felt boards and, and Sunday school and, and, and missed that part. But, but see, every, every generation is prone to read the Bible through the lens, the current lens. We're, we're prone to read it through the lens of 2020. And, and that's not maybe always helpful. So, so let's look at some of Jesus's teaching in John chapter 10, verse 16. He's in the middle of a sermon and he uses this sentence. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. But we just blow past that. But, but Jesus is preaching to a group of people who felt that they were the ethnic elite. They felt that anyone who was not the same ethnicity as them was unclean and that it was against the law to not only be in their home, but to associate with them in any way. Right here in the middle of the sermon, he just dropped that line. This is what Jesus said to, the, to this group of men and women who believed that they were ethnically elite. They believed the work of God among man was going to be just theirs. And he said to them, hey, I, I have other sheep. They're not of this flock, and I'm going to find them, and they're going to hear me, and then they're going to follow me. There's going to be one shepherd and one flock. It's not going to be you and them. It's going to be us, and I'm going to do this thing. Well, for us, that's just a sentence. I cannot overstate how offensive that sentence would have been in the first century. Hey, and remember the this, this story of the Good Samaritan, such a great story about mercy to someone in desperate need. Well, again, in the first century, the Samaritan is the hero of the story. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They, they considered them half-breed sellouts and actively prayed in the temple that God would not forgive their sins. Now, how badly do you hate someone that part of your liturgy is asking God to ignore prayers and not forgive their sins? So Jesus tells this story. A man was robbed, left bloody, beaten, naked on the side of the road. And a priest walked by. Oh, man, a priest. Well, what's a priest? Well, a priest is varsity-level Judaism. This is the best of the best. A a pure-blooded Jewish person. And, And what does he do? Well, he walks on the other side of the road. He goes by. Then a Levite. Wow, a Levite. The, the Levitical order. Hello. A whole book in the Torah, right? Leviticus. He walks by. Does he show mercy? No. Who shows mercy? The Samaritan. 
Then there were these other things that Jesus would do that showed he didn't just teach it, right? But he lived it in such a way that was counterintuitive to the day and the age he was walking on earth. And again, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, you have this Samaritan woman at the well who we know as an adulterer. So according to the Jewish people of the day, she was doubly dirty. Not only is she a half-breed Samaritan, but she's also exchanging sex for rent. Despicable, worthless. A worthless Samaritan woman at the well. Yet it is at that well that Jesus reveals for the first time to any human that he is the Messiah. The first person to ever hear that Christ was not just a teacher or a philosopher, but was God in the flesh was a Samaritan adulterer at the well in John chapter 4. So it's not just the way he taught, it was actually the way he lived his life. You might be thinking, okay, Alan, I, I get it. The, the scripture talks about this. Uh, Jesus taught on this. I, but, but I don't think like that. I don't think that I'm ethnically elite. I don't think that I'm above anyone else. Well, here's the third reason we need to address this. Every generation will drift toward the mirror. And here's what I mean when I, when I say we'll drift toward the mirror. The ease of likeness will always pull us and pull on us over the beauty of difference. The ease of likeness will always be our drift rather than fighting for the beauty of God-given, God-ordained, God-designed diversity and difference. And, and, and I'm going to state that every generation from here to glory will wrestle with the questions of race, of ethnicity, and harmony between us, of equality. It's just our turn now. The ease of the mirror will be everyone's drift. To sit in front of those like us who have experienced many of the things we have experienced is going to be our drift because diversity, difference is messy and it's difficult. And anybody who has tried, anybody who has stepped into the fray knows it is messy and difficult. There are landmines everywhere. And it's a little bit nerve wracking. So it's easier for me just to sit in front of the mirror and pretend like everything is okay and forget what's happening in our world because I get my quote-unquote culture. I get where I'm from. I get my background in a way that requires very, very little effort. I don't ever sit around and think about it. So the drift in every generation is toward the ease of the mirror rather than the beauty of difference and diversity. And it's our turn, church, to fight the good fight. But we're forgetful people. So here's where I want us to look at chapter 10 of Acts. I'm going to summarize this. It's a long chapter. I'm going to summarize it. So here it is. Peter's on a roof. He gets this vision from God where God says, hey, nothing is unclean. You guys are wrong. I've been trying to help you with this. Nothing is unclean. He tells Peter, take and eat something out of this kind of blanket I've lowered from the heavens. There was bacon in there. Well, hey. You are not allowed to have bacon if you're a Jewish person. There's some bacon in there. And he's like, I can't eat that. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, nothing is unclean. Take and eat. Peter's like, hey, this is free. I'm, I'm just believing. He just, 
I mean, it's a bacon sandwich. It's the candy of meat. I mean, come on. He went and got it. Then there's a knock at the door. And there is a, a runner from the Italian cohort, a soldier who knocks on the door and says, hey, command, my commander Cornelius had a visitation from an angel, and, and we're here to come and, here and, and bring you to Cornelius, the, the Italian cohort leader. So, so Peter went. He's a little bit confused. He's crazy discombobulated because, you see, it was illegal for him by the law of the day to associate with Gentiles, and it certainly was illegal to go into the home of a Gentile. So he walks in there incredibly nervous, and he says, okay, an angel visited you, and I had this vision of bacon, and so I'm just going for this here, okay? I'm going for it. And he shares the gospel with Cornelius, the ruler of the Italian cohort. The Holy Spirit falls, and his entire household believes. They're baptized. And there's this incredible, wow, amazing, the Gentiles are saved. So if anyone was never going to drift back to the Jewish mirror, it's got to be Peter, right? I mean, he was there. He was the one through whom the Holy Spirit flowed to save the first Gentiles, the first Gentile Christians. So surely, if anyone won't drift back to this foolish concept of homogeneousness, it'll be Peter, right? Well, in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we read this, Paul writing, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the Jewish people, the Jewish men. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I mean, look at verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I confronted them to their faces. These microaggressions that are being shown here by separating themselves out, choosing the mirror over the difficulty of diversity are called according to the Bible, not my word, not any any organization's word not anyone else's word but according to the strips uh, to according to the scripture they are out of step with the truth of the gospel you see this is not a social issue this is a gospel issue this is a heart issue it's my heart's issue it's your heart's issue and it's our turn to enter into the fray We're always going to wrestle. It's just our turn. We've always wrestled. There will always be a wrestle. And yet what we get the opportunity to do is to give ourselves over to what Jesus has purchased for us in the cross and leave something better for those that follow. There's, I think, a false idea, a false notion that time is going to take care of this. You see, time cannot take care of this unless, of course, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ when everything will be made right, of course. But the drift will always be toward the mirror. I'll say this um, because it needs to be said, and, and we'll talk about this more later, probably some next week. But it is the majority culture that will struggle with the mirror more than the minority culture. African-American, Latino, Asian, Native Americans, wherever they go, 
they're rarely looking in the mirror. They're looking at us. It's the majority culture that will struggle most with the mirror. And the idea that just time is going to solve this is false. Here's how Martin Luther King Jr. put it in his letter from a Birmingham jail. His words. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. Time itself is neutral. It, it can be used either destructively or constructively. More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than people than the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the quote-unquote bad people, but for the appalling silence of the quote-unquote good people. Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. Dr. King's argument is that every generation is going to have to make a stand here for what's right and what's true. Not because of politics, not of movements, but according to the word of God. To be neutral, to be silent to the word of God gives us over to stagnation, not moving the ball forward. So, because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because of being reconciled to him and given the ministry, each of us, of reconciliation. We must always want and talk about racial equality in the light of the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Because, first of all, it's, it's one of the great themes of the Bible itself. Secondly, because Jesus teaches on this consistently. And thirdly, because my drift is going to always be towards the mirror and away from a God-purchased, a God-ordained, a God-created, a God-designed, a God-idea of beautiful diversity, equality, and harmony. We'll talk some more about this next week. As I conclude, I want to read 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration and encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Until we're together again, may God hold us all in the hollow of his hand. Amen. And God bless.